Circumstances that cause us to grieve are inevitable. They are guaranteed to knock on everyone's door at least once, yet we often treat grief as taboo. We are uncomfortable around those in its grip, we ignore and repress grief's existence, and are abetted by a culture morally complicit in shunning it. Most likely, our fears keep us from talking about grief. We fear that if we do, loss will find us, or we will hurt someone's feelings, or it will make us depressed. Yet, talking about grief when we grapple with loss, shedding light on it, better prepares us to greet it, to invite it in. Talking about it helps normalize it. We can learn from those who have endured it so that we might better serve others who grieve as well as prepare ourselves to find grounding in grief when it visits us. Welcome to Grounding Grief, a podcast dedicated to talking about grief. I'm Ann Beach, your host. The range of topics is vast, the vantage points are endless, but for today, I will talk about my experience with grief. I have lived through the unexpected, violent death of my firstborn child, Victoria, who was murdered by an ex-boyfriend in her Chicago apartment on May 14, 2014. As incomprehensible as it might sound, this experience and my ensuing grief have taught me to be more alive and thrive today. I imagine that as a listener, you begin to wonder, how did I get here? What transpired when I learned my daughter had been killed? The simple answer is that from the moment I learned of Victoria's death, I believed a burst of positive energy was released into the universe. Later, I would come to realize that same energy had found a home in me. There are so many details I could share so much to tell you about her. The belief that positive energy was released upon her death is rooted in my refusal to believe all that was her is forever gone. I began to see her goodness at work immediately. Instead of receiving a cold call from the police hours later, while they were still on the scene, her dear friend Roa called to tell me she had died that such a good, gentle, and noble person was the emissary of such horrible news awakened a belief in me that Victoria's goodness and gentleness were still alive. Intuitively, I knew that grief would serve me best if I stayed focused on her life rather than dwell on what would happen to the man who killed her. On the day following her death, as I stood on the street outside her apartment, I received a call from the victim's advocacy folks in Chicago. They reached out to talk about how the criminal prosecution of Victoria's killer might proceed, something they assumed I would be interested in. But nothing would bring her back, and so that, of all things, seemed least helpful to me. My best friend, who had come to help me, overheard me say to them, He's taken enough from me already. I will not spend time on what happens to him. I am going to focus on my daughter, who she was, her life. There is nothing in the criminal justice system that will help me heal. And that has remained true to this day, not only for me, but for the other members of our immediate family. I realize many will want to know the outcome of that process. 
All I have to say is that he pled guilty to murder one and remains in prison. I would be remiss if I did not add that I have forgiven him. He is broken, and killing my daughter did not help him become whole. I hope he does, although I have my doubts about him being able to do so in prison or elsewhere. Yet a deepest wish of mine is that he finds peace. Other thoughts that flowed through my mind as Roa told me the news. I remember thinking, who will comfort me? For from the time she was a baby, when I held her and soothingly patted her back, she would pat mine in return. I was angry he had taken that from me, and I was angry for her sisters, father, family, and friends. But deep within, I understood something far more significant than anger had awakened in me. With great clarity and utmost certainty, I knew something greater than what our five senses in the three dimensions of our world could understand. In that instant, I understood that we are not in control. As much as we try to be, we are not. I realized also that Victoria had lived her life knowing this, a knowingness she had now passed on to me. In time, I learned to accept that grief is always present. Grief is a continuum, ranging from tenderness enriched with soft memories to excruciating pain. Often, I found myself all over the place on that continuum, all at once. But I knew that just as Victoria's death was not greater than her life, my grief would not keep me from living. This provided me some of the comfort I sought. I knew she would approve of my living fully, and I felt her greatest attributes awaken in me as she served as my guide to navigate the rest of my life without her. In my moments of greatest pain, it is she who comes to sit with and comfort me. I see her walking as a young woman, laughing. I feel her as that little girl who explored the world with me. Her wise soul, her gentle nature, her fierce penetrating stare that matched a fierceness in her soul. A warrior goddess in human form. That's how I think of her. How she loved fiercely, us, her friends. There are still times I want to shut down, lock away the pain, the ache becomes unbearable. I become oh so quiet inwardly. My heart feels heavy, even as my breath sustains a rhythmic cadence. Then I find a stillness that longs to connect to the universe. That's the only way for me to know all is well and to find the strength to go on. Early in my grieving, and for a total of five years, I photographed the pre-dawn sky and its effect on the lake in front of my home. These photos developed a faithful following on Facebook and became known as my sunrise photos. People look forward to starting their day with them. But for me, it was time to spend with Victoria in meditative stillness, a time I grappled with the impermanence of life, her absence from mine, and the ever-changing nature of the world around and within me. This ritual, these dawns, instilled in me the hope and promise of each new day as I stood in my grief. The magnitude of my loss 
took on the magnificence and stillness of quiet dawns where the sky was perfectly reflected in the mirror-like calm of the lake on a windless day. Or my loss stirred with the tempestuousness of the swirling, dark and stormy monochromatic clouds whose textures matched the equally harsh white caps being hurled at me below. Some of the most provocative dawns were those fog-filled ones, where the earth, air, and sky melded together in complete opacity, mirroring the ungrounded and unearthly feelings of grief's emptiness, contradicted by the heaviness of its weight. I no longer live on that lake, nor do I need to photograph each sunrise, but what that ritual taught me is both comfort and stillness, the stillness in grief, stillness in nature, stillness within me, and a deep connection to the vastness of the universe. And I have sought those comforts repeatedly since she died. And so I have learned that part of thriving is accepting pain, knowing that you have to embrace, feel, sit in, and fully integrate it, both deep within you and throughout your entire being. Let it sit on the surface when it wants to. Call it what it is. Greet it with grace, and when you're ready, with a smile. I like saying her name. I like hearing it. I love when even now, almost nine years later, her friends reach out to me and tell me a story about their times together. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, I'm wholly present, listening as keenly as if I were an eavesdropper overhearing a great secret. My being floods with joy at the simple mention of her name or a remembrance offered up from a friend. Mostly, I remember all the things she taught me. Victoria taught me to be a mother. She bore the burden of my being too strict or clueless. She paved the way for her younger sisters with grace and humor. She taught me to be kind through authenticity and to see the irony in life and that these things really do not have to be mutually exclusive. She taught me to be less judgmental. She encouraged me to do things that fed my soul, even if it meant being away from the family. And she listened to me, letting me get ideas out of my head when I thought it was about to explode. She has taught me what it is to love someone beyond this life, and that although she was only here for a short while, she had a huge and positive effect on people. She left a legacy of kindness and good deeds that those who die much older often cannot claim. So where am I today? In July of 2022, as my family awaited the birth of our second grandson, I wrote, I could not have a happier family situation except if Victoria were alive. But I also know it would be different. Her death led me to undergo a huge transformation that has in turn brought me to this gratitude. I think I would have continued to be more negative, entertaining dissatisfaction more readily and to a greater degree if she were still alive. Her death made me pause, stop and think about life and those I love. Since her death, I am able to love more deeply and broadly. 
emotional hurts are fewer and farther between, so I am able to delve into and heal the historic ones. All of this I attribute to Victoria. She was wise, and in honoring her life, I have tapped into her qualities I most admired and found them within myself. Then recently, in February, I wrote, Victoria shows herself less frequently, for she knows the lessons I have yet to learn come from my living, not in memories of her. Grief allowed me to dwell with her and to find my grounding. Visits from her or those conjured by me are less frequent as I truly live. I like to think, just as I attend to things here and now, she too is busy in her realm. And so that is the story of my grief through the death of my daughter. People still approach me with caution, voicing their fears should something similar happen to them. I cannot imagine. How do you do it? I could not go on. I do my best to comfort them, knowing now I embody the role for others she once played for me. Invariably, pained expressions lighten as we talk, brows become less furrowed, eyes less searching. Often, we end up smiling or in an embrace. They are less fearful, holding a kernel of hope that they can go on about their day feeling better simply for having the courage to hold such a conversation. Conversations like this are what inspired me to launch this podcast. In the upcoming months, other topics that trigger grief will be explored. We experience grief from events in so many circumstances, including those other than death. Loss of a job, selling the family home, diagnoses with chronic illness, breakups and divorce, to name just a few. Next time, on May 6th, we will address the topic of the trickiness of Mother's Day for many, particularly for those with a complicated mother relationship or who grieve the death of a mother or people who have struggled with infertility, often in a constant state of mourning the unborn. Until then, I'll leave you with this quote from the Canadian poet Ali Kay. And perhaps the greatest paradox of all is how we stand here, fully wounded, yet never more alive. Thank you for listening to Grounding Grief. If you liked this episode, please follow us. If you have comments or suggestions, visit my website at groundinggrief.com. There you will be able to download and share today's episode. You can also email me at Anne, A-N-N, at groundinggrief.com with suggestions for future grief topics, to let me know your thoughts on today's episode, and to join the conversation by letting me know your grief story.